1: I'm Anna. And I'm Caroline. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman.
2: A very warm welcome to our Gilmore Girls special episode. Woohoo! In which we're going to discuss the utopia of Stars Hollow. Then we'll be joined by Pinya Sarakoski to talk about the romantic
1: relationships of Rory and Lorelei. And then Barbara Speed joins us to talk about work and careers in the show. And finally, we're joined by Laura Snapes to discuss class, family, and belonging in the show.
2: Hello! Hello! Welcome to this special Gilmore Girls episode of Seriously. We're so excited to finally be sharing this with you. It's been a long time in the works, I have to say. Yeah I've been watching so much Gilmore Girls. We're super excited for our
1: event next week the Seriously Gilmore Girls quiz which we've talked about on the podcast before. It is sold out but please sign up to the waiting
2: list and if you've got a ticket well there's not much better preparation you could be doing than listening to this special. If you do want to still get on that waiting list by the way head to seriouslypod.com and click on events and stick your name down.
1: So for anyone who doesn't know, Gilmore Girls is a long-running series that was on the WB network created by Amy Sherman Palladino. And it's about a mother-daughter relationship between Lorelei and Rory Gilmore and all their friends, family, etc. If you haven't watched Gilmore Girls, you kind of need to watch some before you listen to this podcast because I think you might just be lost.
2: Yeah, it was first on in 2000, it ran 2000 to 2007 But it's now all on Netflix, so you can go indulge. Yeah, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast for the main seven series of Gilmore Girls, but we are not going to talk about the revival episodes that are coming soon on Netflix. This is a pre-revival podcast, so have no fear. We don't know what what happens, so we're not going to tell you.
1: No, there is some vague speculation and some allusions to trailers, etc., but we haven't seen the episodes and we're not talking about them. So... I feel like the news has been pretty miserable over the last couple of weeks. I'm sure a lot of listeners will agree. I've been in a totally escapist world, just binging on Gilmore Girls.
2: Yep, same here.
1: And part of that for me is literally just immersing myself in the town of Stars Hollow, which is the first thing we're going to talk about on the special. I am obsessed with Stars Hollow. I've been obsessing over like the geography and the fine details of like what shops are where in (laughs) Stars Hollow and like what festivals happen at which times of the year um, and I just think it's got this amazing
2: sense of place, right? Absolutely incredible. I don't think I've ever known anything like it in a TV show before, both because it's so present all the time. Like you say, if you've watched enough Gilmore Girls, you can basically like draw a map of the centre of Stars Hollow. But also because of the like the sense of community that goes with that as well, you know, so many scenes take place in the town meetings or at one of their crazy seasonal festivals of which there are so, so many. Mm-hmm that yeah it just permeates everything it's not like an event suddenly in one episode oh there's a harvest festival it's like no of course there's a harvest festival because every episode there is something going on
1: yeah and there'll be like little lines like oh i drive past oz hollow once um if that was the town full of pumpkins in march and then rory's like oh they came late that year <laughs> so you know how like much preparation goes into everything and it's sort of like a lot of the b plots in especially the first three series will all revolve around like taking Taylor's struggle to set up a soda shop or whatever it is that week. And for me, that means that I think that just it becomes such a textured world and you feel so like you can second guess the motives of like pretty much everyone who lives there. You get to know the characters so well. And I think that's part of what makes it feel so escapist because you're just like, okay, back in Star's Hollow in the same way that you can with
2: Hogwarts or somewhere like that. It also is a really, really good device by the writer to make it an ensemble drama. Mm -hmm. because otherwise as the title would suggest i think you would end up focusing in on the gilmore girls it would be a story mostly about lorelei and rory and emily and richard Mm -hmm. and luke might be a supporting character but because of the way stars hollow is constructed and because of the importance of its various events to all of the main plot lines you know people like kirk and miss patty and taylor and babette are like secondary characters. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think it's where it contrasts with something like Friends where when there's like another character that has to come in for some reason, they're like really shoehorned into the plot and it's like quite weird. Whereas I like that Babette could perhaps feature in an episode where she's just shouting across from her house and it never feels like it has to be a fully fledged plot line. It's just part of the everyday world that you're living in.
2: I always think that with Friends, the weirdness of them having guest stars became so weird because the show started. Started to acknowledge it, mm-hmm. so like later on, you know, when Brad Pitt yeah, guest and stars. Like, Woo, Brad Pitt yeah and he he comes to a thanksgiving dinner right mm-hmm. and the whole premise of the episode is that like oh this like random guy we don't know has come to thanksgiving um let's like grill him and ask him loads of questions like we've never met him before exactly like you would with like a new colleague or mm-hmm. something so it just becomes a bit meta mm-hmm. and a bit focused and a bit like us versus them whereas that never happens with stars hollow
1: one of my friends jokes with me that she thinks the four final words of the whole series is just going to be like Lorelei woke up or something like it was a dream <laughs> and I think there's something in that this is a utopian world right it's a completely hyper real saturated colourful perfect vision of a small town in which there's never really any problems they even like take the piss out of that in like the episode for example where paris comes because she wants to investigate the quote seedy Mm. underbelly of of small town life and the only thing she has to go on is the fact that rory has suggested that they put some of the videos in the video store on a slightly higher shelf if they've got like provocative covers and they put them all behind a curtain and it becomes like a thing on censorship in small town america And, you know, Taylor tries to install a traffic light or does install a traffic light, even though there's no traffic (laughs) at all. And I think it's such a
2: vision of perfection that it becomes just so comforting and fun to be in. And I suppose your friend's theory maybe does get some support from the fact that It's where Lorelai fled after life had completely gone off the rails. You know, she left her parents' fancy house and their whole world. And she ended up in the place that could not have been more perfect for her circumstance. You know, it goes back to that whole thing about, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And she found her village and they helped her do it and they became part of the place. So, yeah, you could you could argue that maybe it's all too perfect,
1: (laughs) but I think as well. The fact that there are all these, like, tiny arguments over, like, I don't know, the Poe Society or... Love the Poe Society. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a great episode, or, like... The the sort of small town rivalry between... I can't remember whether it's Litchfield or West Hartford or someone who refuses to host the... Woodbury? Woodbury, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Woodbury. Hank. Hank over at Woodbury is Taylor's (laughs) rival. (laughs) Love Hank. (laughs) (laughs) Love Hank. Who refused to hold the Festival of Living Pictures. So they have to hold it in Stars Hollow and they get really into it, obviously. And I think those sort of little arguments sort of stop it from becoming sickening ever mm. it just becomes like this weird frustrating but wonderful place and there's a great line Laura, uh, Lorelei and Luke are sort of in the diner looking out over the the winter festival procession that they do like through the town center and, you know, Lorelai's persuading Luke to turn his lights off so that he'll watch it with her. She's like, I just can't imagine living anywhere else, can you? And I think especially Lorelai and Luke are these figures who have really found their people. Luke grew up there, so it's he's never left his people and he's never, ever going to leave Star's Hollow. Lorelai found them when she needed it the most. And I love that sense of community. It just, it feels great. And I think sometimes it's easy to take the piss out of
2: Gilmore Girls for being a bit saccharine, but I do think it's just so warm and lovely. Yeah, it is completely. And I think partly what helps cut through that Slightly saccharine leaning is the fact that a lot of the community activities are really, really weird and kind of absurd. And that makes it seem eccentric rather than like completely cuddly.
1: Exactly. And I also like that it makes it easier for you to get a sense of the year passing. Mm. Every festival they do is so ridiculously seasonal that it makes you really feel like you do live there because you know what it looks like to live in Stars Hollow at Christmas, at Thanksgiving, at Easter summer you have a real sense of what what it's like to spend a whole year in stars hollow which i think is really important
2: and actually the festival of living pictures episode that we touched on mm. i think is one of the best evocations of that because i found myself so sucked in to the like intertown town politics and the who gets to play who the, that about halfway through i was just suddenly like hang on a second this is objectively weird what they are doing <laughs> yeah, yeah they are dressing up and pretending to be famous pictures when you're like hang on I Laura-
1: she's she is the Renoir girl how can they not give like the Renoir girl and then you're like this is ridiculous yeah
2: it's it's fundamentally not very good entertainment like watching people stand really still wearing costumes I think it's amazing that episode it's a really bizarre episode I uncovered this little um, factoid that it's the only Emmy that Gilmore Girls ever won was for the makeup in that episode that's amazing it's so good it is absolutely incredible but it's a mark of how good the sense of place is in the show that you are completely convinced that a festival of living pictures is a really rational thing for (laughs) people to spend their time on well i'm so excited to revisit stars hollow
1: with the revival and let's hope it's exactly as we remember it (laughs) so now we're joined by pinya who's the new statesman subscriptions assistant to chat about romance in gilmore girls I feel like from the off, Rory's love life is perhaps a more highly contested area and one that has more like fan teams and discussions. So maybe we'll start with that. Pinya, do you have a favourite Rory love interest?
3: Not really a favourite because I don't really like any of them. Basically. Yeah, they're all they're,
1: they're all <laughs> kind think... of shit in their own way. Yeah, aren't
3: they? I, I feel like it's it's especially at the start. I find it's almost like you do get the bad boy appeal of Jess, but. When they actually start going out together,
1: he's so horrible to her. Like, he's a really bad boyfriend, isn't yeah, he? Yeah,
3: he is. Obviously, he does get a little better, but still, it's just all in all pretty bad, like, how, how he treats her. Yeah. And, like, as a friend, I think, like, for example, Lane and Lorelai are a bit, like, uh, too
1: understanding. Do you almost. reckon? I think Lane's quite good in that she is quite, like, I well, don't yeah. really like him. She does make it quite clear that she doesn't like him, but, but that she should. she sort of says, I should try and like him. But um, yeah, I agree with you because I was like definitely a huge Jess girl when I was watching this originally. I still love his whole plotline when he's not dating Rory and he's trying to get in with Rory. And I think he's really charming then and really like good at trying to wheedle his way in. But once they start going out, you're right. He's not a good boyfriend. He's like completely emotionally unavailable, doesn't call her back, never plans anything.
3: I also feel like there's very like not much effort on Rory's part to even try and like explain like why they have a connection because it's clear that they do mm-hmm. and especially because they have like such similar interests and they can talk about the books and stuff but it's never really I don't think it is that clear to, to anyone else yeah, so which makes it seem even more horrible.
2: Yeah, yeah that's I, true. I think that's totally true. And I think especially for Lorelai, the beginning of her relationship with Jess is far too bound up in the end of her relationship with Dean. Mm. And that like, it's not an overlap in the sense of like, she cheats on him or anything, but it's definitely like an emotional. She kind of does. <laughs> yeah. She kind of yeah. does. Yeah. But it's like an emotional overlap. It's definitely. Like I one think, yeah. causes the other. Yeah.
3: In a way, though, I think that's a good point in Rory's overarching story because it does make her seem a bit less perfect yeah because it's quite questionable what she's doing because everyone really clearly knows that she's emotionally basically cheating on Dean yeah
1: I quite relate to that part of her that sort of knows she's doing something wrong but can't won't admit it to anyone Mm. she like never is never really honest with her mum or anyone about like when she's spending time with Jess or the fact that she like these accidental quote mark situations Mm. that keep happening aren't aren't accidental at all especially at that age I feel like you just sort of do what you want and then try and like justify it retrospectively later yeah and I found that more relatable than her like perfect girl image definitely definitely. I think she like she's
3: brought closer to you almost because and then because you as a viewer you're the one who sees it Mm -hmm. and then you know you know notice those things and, like, it's much more believable than her just being just the perfect, perfect girl at that point.
2: Let's talk about Dean quickly for mm-hmm. a second, though. So I really, really liked Dean when I first started watching it because I just thought, oh, he's so like nice and dependable <laughs> and like a good foil to Rory's like more fiery, quick tempered leanings, you know, because he's mm. just he's just gonna, always going to be there. And so But I feel like it, it's a skillful thing in the writing that I think felt like that to start with and Mm. then I was like okay no he's really dull you know (laughs) that that what was a virtue became a a vice yeah
1: yeah I completely agree and I think there's almost a sense that Rory outgrows Dean Mm. and there's a lot of those early episodes I think so much about Rory like literally physically running away from boys that show interest in her (laughs) and she has no idea what she's doing and she needs someone who's really really patient and encouraging to sort of help her into that first relationship. And there's a great line where Laura I later says, you know, most of us didn't have first boyfriends like Dean. Yeah. We had first boyfriends like this guy in the fourth grade yeah. who asked to go out with me and then I didn't see him again for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> um, you yes. know, like I love that idea that he's really sort of encouraged her. And then as she gets older and she gets a bit more confident and she's so quick and really wants someone who can kind of challenge her a bit Mm. and it seems like Dean isn't really doing that for her there's so many episodes Mm. where she's like please just give this book another try and he's a bit like okay but don't you want to come and watch my you know hockey game and she's (laughs) a bit like not really and their interests diverge and they just become quite different kinds of people
3: yeah
2: I also feel like later on we get to see Dean hardening into quite an unpleasant person Mm. at times so like the way he treats Lindsay and i'm thinking particularly of the one of the episodes that's right at the epicentre of like the cheating thing when lindsay is like so obsessed with trying to make good roast beef and you see oh. her like in different shops like asking people like but it went wrong tell me again how to do it <laughs> and then you see at the end like her dishing up this big roast in front of dean and like he cuts into it and it's perfect and she's so excited and he just sits and she's like kissing him and hugging him being like look i did it and uh, and he's just sitting there like oh beef made by Lindsay it's like (laughs) you dick like even (laughs) even if you aren't in love with her anymore just be excited that she did a good thing she was trying to do I feel like in that moment Dean is treating Lindsay in the same way that Rory treated Dean
1: yeah except he's older and probably and married and should probably know better (laughs) yes absolutely so um what do you guys think about Logan, Pina? I don't
3: really like him to be honest. I'm
1: not a Logan fan either and I feel quite conflicted about why because I think a lot of other Gilmore Girls watchers, I don't know if you agree with this Caroline, would be like well actually Logan is a pretty good boyfriend to Rory and he is like they're pretty,
2: their personalities match in quite key ways. That's kind of where I am in the sense that yeah I agree I think they are quite a good match for each other and that with a few exceptional incidents aside, he is pretty nice to her. But I don't find him attractive. Like I Yeah I don't <laughs> You know either. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I not
3: see the like yeah. I find it hard
2: to be invested in mm. him because unlike both Rory and Jess, in spite of myself at times, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see why someone would, you know, do what she did for mm. you, but I can't see that with Logan.
1: And I feel like a lot of his initial appeal rests on his wealth and his charm. Like those Life and Death Brigade episodes and all the times that he can like make a big scene in Rory's classrooms and stuff like that. A lot of that, I don't know, depends on the idea that he's been able to like hire someone to like run around in a stupid police costume or persuade one of his friends to do something embarrassing. And I I don't know, for me, I can see why Rory likes that because I think as we talk a little bit later on in the podcast... We know that Rory actually probably does quite like status and wealth and things like that, even if she kind of wishes she didn't. She's not quite the same as Lorelai in that way. It makes me uncomfortable that that's part of his appeal,
2: especially in those early episodes, that his
1: like eliteness is part of his appeal.
2: He also has that appeal for someone with a character like Rory's where she's quite shy but also quite confident at times that she she Mm -hmm. sort of flips between the two where the shy part of her would be like oh god this is so embarrassing why is he making such a fuss and the other part of her be like wow look at me with a boyfriend who's like going to all this effort to create all these stunts for me
1: Mm -hmm. and the fact that he'll like make her jump off a thing that's really I guess what Rory's looking for in a relationship and why she moved on from Dean she wanted a guy who could like maybe pull her into more exciting situations because she does want that but sometimes she just finds it difficult to like make the first step i think but do you think that in part obviously like it's a it's a smaller
3: divergence but uh, tristan as well was was kind of like that
1: that's a really good point a
3: distraction in, in terms of because she was i mean the dean storyline was still going on and then he's completely and he i mean he's just dick basically but then <laughs> but then he also <laughs> he also like brings another another kind of level
1: Yeah, I think there are definitely parallels between Tristan and Logan, though I think Tristan is less charismatic than Logan and pulls stuff off a lot less well despite the fact that he's, like, handsome and blonde and rich, you can see why she's like, but he's also just a loser. And he's a lot less sure of himself. He's a lot more insecure than Logan. Mm. Logan seems to know himself
2: quite well. I do really respect the writers of those early series for not doing, with Tristan and Rory, what would be the really easy plot line, which is the, like, when she first arrives at the school, he deliberately calls her by the wrong name and is mean to her, and then they come to love each other. Like, the kind of pigtails in the schoolyard, to yeah. final kiss at the end credits they don't do that they make it more complicated than that yeah. And i think that's one of the show's real uh strengths is that at times it will go for what you expect but at other times it resists it
1: okay i think we should do a quick vote if rory had to end up with one of her exes i know that the um, perhaps a more interesting plot line would be that she had a completely new boyfriend altogether but if she had to end up with one of the exes who would you go for caroline i think logan Pinya.
3: I don't know. I know I said that I hated Jess at the start of the podcast, (laughs) but maybe even Jess?
1: Yeah, I think I'm Jess too. Yeah. Especially because I love that episode where he comes back and he's written a book and he seems a lot more mature. Mm, And he sort of calls Rory out on her shitty behavior Mm. in that episode. And I think hopefully he has grown into like quite a respectable adult. I don't know. To me, there's something there. And I just hate Logan.
3: (laughs) (laughs) In a way, like I unwittingly parallel Luke and Jess. Definitely, and really like Luke. So Ill
2: so. <laughs> oh, see I know, I do that in a way that I think of comes off badly for Jess because I think especially in like the first few episodes when Jess moves to Star Hollow, he treats Luke so badly when Luke is just really trying to make things easy for him and, you know give him his space and like not bug him. And yet he still is, is horrible to him. It's so. true.
1: And the, one of the key things about Luke is that he's so into like family, like mm. the hardware sign and, and all of that stuff yeah. in a way that, and, and, what, and was as a young man, you know, that when he was like 17, he was helping his dad run the business. But I think you can also imagine Luke as a teenager giving off really surly vibes to people and yeah, people being maybe. like, what is wrong with that kid? <laughs> and him having a really bad reputation, but actually him growing up into being this like very,
2: very sweet guy. Yeah, yeah that's true. And actually his grown up resistance to twee traditions in stars hollow probably had its root in some like grumpy teen acting out exactly yeah yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. so talking about luke we should talk about lorelei's love interests which seems a little more straightforward to me than rory's love life because we all love luke right yeah everyone's team luke (laughs) surely is anyone not team luke or have leanings to christopher or max or i really liked
3: Christopher, when they first were going to get together before Sherry got pregnant, I was like, yes
1: yeah I do remember that that sort of wedding it's Suki's wedding right, where all this stuff happens where like Jess comes back and he kisses Rory and that is such an amazing episode the bit where
2: like both Rory and Lorelai have like these incredible like turbulent things happen in like the 10 minutes before they have to walk down the (laughs) aisle with Suki and then they both like stand together ready to go and Lorelai just goes like you okay and Rory goes (laughs) yep yeah it's
1: like a classic it's quite anti-Gilmore girls levels of drama really yeah but yeah so I agree that that it all Seems pretty perfect, the idea of Lorelai and Christopher getting back together at that point. But I think, even as it's happening, you're aware that it's kind of too good to be true, and Mm -hmm. Christopher isn't that Mm -hmm. perfect a guy, and it's probably not going to work that way. But I wonder if that relationship had just too much baggage, basically, to ever fully become like a, a new grown up relationship. I think maybe they bring out fairly childish parts of each other just because they've known each other for so long but yeah yeah i think that's true i don't know max i don't know how i feel about max i remember that episode where he lends her is it swan's way or something yeah and she doesn't read it and (laughs) i think that for me is just like yeah this was never gonna work right like i think Lorelai probably because she's got a bit of arrested development right she's she's still a bit of a teenager in some ways i think she quite liked the idea of like getting with the professor Mm -hmm. yeah uh But she was never going to be the serious. (laughs) Also, I think it's just quite
3: abrupt in a way how it happens in the series. Mm. It it is a little bit like, oh, we've gone on like three dates and now we're going to get married. Mm -hmm. Like it is kind of odd, and I was like, oh, what? Yeah, no,
2: (laughs) it never made sense. Yeah, Yeah. well, I was quite into Max up until the point when they're suddenly getting married Mm. because I was like, as a like a gradual slide from a casual to serious dating person. I think Max is good for Lorelei and yeah. they could like grow together. But then when, because isn't it like they have a disagreement about how they should conduct their relationship and yeah. his solution to it is like, well, let's get married. And she's like, yeah. mm, okay then. That po- At that point, I was like, no, get out. This show <laughs>
1: seems really anti-rushed marriages, right? Because yeah. like Luke and Nicole, it all goes exactly. to shit. Uh, Max and Lorelai all goes to shit. Uh, Dean and Lindsay, mm-hmm. not good. But then Suki and Jackson, yeah, but that does was, work out.
2: But that wasn't rushed, was it? I guess they've been friends. They'd for a They've been really friends long time. for yeah. a really long time, and then also I feel like they were going out for a while before they decided to get well, married. Well, they
1: get they get engaged at the tisket Tasket, oh, the basket, basket thing. episode, yeah. and because Jackson has suggested them moving in together, and I think they've only been going out like. Less like six months or something? Because But I think it's
3: important the fact that they did have an existing relationship for quite a long time before it became anything else.
1: Yeah. So what do we think's gonna be happening with Luke and Lorelei in the revival? Uh I'm stressed about it. Just just (laughs) eventually It It seems like from the trailer that they're in like couples therapy. Yeah. Or or Lorelai's just having therapy to talk about the fact that she's unsure about her relationship's last marriage. Do we think they're married? I don't know. know. Yeah,
2: it's hard to tell. I mean, I I feel like there weren't really any indications about they're definitely together, Mm -hmm. and but not like super happy.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I feel sad about that because I feel like Luke is actually really good at talking about his emotions, even though he doesn't seem it. I love that episode where he's like got the book,
0: (laughs) yeah, the like self help
1: book. (laughs) That to me is just the fact that he would even do that. Exactly, it's like so great. So I think if they just had a conversation about
2: stuff. It would probably be fine, <laughs> right? <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> Do you think it Luke has to be Endgame for Lorelei? Do you think absolutely? Yeah, I think. I so think too. so too. I I was contemplating uh, a version whereby, like, they kind of amicably, as far as possible, come to an end. Oh, that makes would, me feel horrible in my heart. Would that still be okay? And I think, no.
1: Yeah, you just saying that has, like it's struck just, a horrible feeling. It's been yeah. the heart
2: of the show right from the very, very beginning. Exactly, The yeah. idea that they, will they, won't they, will they. A trivia question that may or may not appear in the quiz.
1: What are the first two words of the entire series? Please, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that just shows, like, yeah. I don't know what the last four words are going to be, what, what Amy Sherman Palladino plans for that, but, like, Luke and Lorelai's, Back and forth—it's just such yeah. a cornerstone of the show.
3: Yeah, and I think it's a good like balancing out the fact that Lorelai is
1: like not a very good
3: housekeeper and stuff <laughs> like that doesn't cook, and then Luke does. Yeah, and is kind of in the end almost even a bit more in con- like you said in connection with his own emotions and
1: stuff. It would yeah. be a good balance balancing out for them to stay together. I think. I completely agree. Well. We're all excited to see what happens next in the love lives of the Gilmore girls. So now we're joined by Barbara Speed. It's very nice to have you back on Seriously, Barbara. So you're a big Gilmore Girls fan. Presumably you've been watching all the trailers and stuff in the build-up. What sort of struck you about the coverage leading up to the revival?
4: Yeah, so I think we've obviously all read those kind of, I mean, you did one yourself, Anna, kind of picking apart every single frame in the trailer because there's (laughs) so much in there. And obviously even the inclusion of certain characters means a lot, which includes the fact that Rory's three main boyfriends are all set to appear in all the the exes all the exes everyone's dream but I think what's funny about this is that this obviously led to huge speculation about which of them she would end up with and how her love life would kind of end up given that we're expecting this is the end of the Gilmore Girls story Mm -hmm. but the show's creator Amy Sherman Palladino spoke out in an interview recently which I thought was really interesting saying you will miss the fact that she's unemployed which I really like because I think it's really easy to Uh, because so many shows the narrative is all about relationships it's easy to forget that actually in this show it kind of isn't Mm. like what's really striking to me is that there'll often be an episode where one of i mean whether it's lane or lorelei or rory are fighting with a boyfriend or have broken up and they kind of don't talk about it for like three episodes because obviously you do have to get on with your life it's not that lorelei doesn't go into the inn she just kind of carries on and in the same way i think that that but however if they lost their job it would be Massive, yeah, it would destroy their confidence. And yeah, Rory gets the most upset by people telling her she's not good at a job, not by guys. Yeah, kind of and that's basically what her. that big fallout is about at,
1: towards the end of the show, where she basically Logan's dad is like, "You're not cut out to be a journalist, right?" And it causes all these sort of fights between her and her mom. And I in my mind, a lot of the time, I remember that as sort of like the Logan-related fight which is obviously completely wrong. It's not really anything to do with Logan or Logan's family. It's actually to do with the idea that she might not be good enough at her job and
2: a senior newspaper man has told her that she's not good enough at, at what she wants to do. There's actually a really direct evocation of this in an episode I just watched from the beginning of series five when it's the test weekend for the new inn and Jason Jason turns up wanting to be like, oh, Lorelai, you know, we've been apart, but let's get back together. And she's like, I'm busy. I'm working. It's a really important weekend. I can't stop just because you've decided to turn up. And he's like, can I get a room? She's like, no, we're fully booked. <laughs> and then she makes him like sit and she's like, you can just sit in the lounge. And you know, if I have time, I'll talk to you. And he sits there for hours and hours and hours while you see her going about her job and doing it brilliantly and everything being a great big success. And you, for me, that was like a really explicit demonstration of the fact that work is more important that's ultimately what her long-term life plan is about and there's
4: another moment like that I think where Lorelai has an option of becoming a kind of consultant for inns around the world and a very big <laughs> plot point and it's kind of never really explicitly spoken about but she tells Luke about this and he's just like what are you not going to acknowledge that I live here? And and she just doesn't. She just completely yeah. misses the whole thing. She's like, oh, well, if I want to do that for my career, I will. And he's like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll stay here then.
1: Yeah, and it's a bit like when Jess dumps Rory. It's just before she goes off to yeah. or he doesn't dump her, but when Jess disappears, she calls him, doesn't she, from her Chilton graduation? And she's mm. like, I can tell that that's you. Or he calls her, I can tell that that's you. I. I'm going around the world with my mom tomorrow and that's not changing. And then I'm going to Yale and that's not changing. So there's not really anything left to say is there. So uh, yeah, I completely agree that they definitely do try and like create these characters that are like definitely concerned about like who they're going to end up with and definitely sometimes get lonely. But their main goals in life are career focused.
4: And also if you think of the bits of the series that are maybe personally upsetting to you, they're always maybe when mothers and daughters fall out. Mm. Or I remember the this the episodes where Rory's been told she'll never make it in journalism as being the most chilling <laughs> <bit> viewing <laughs> of my life. I was like, I just completely understand. Like, how could you like carry on after that? Um, it's so convincing.
1: Yeah, and I sometimes struggle with the characterization of Rory in, especially in the early seasons It's like good at everything. Like everything she puts her hand to, she just like completely, all the boys are like falling at her feet constantly in a way that is like ridiculous. Plus she's getting all her work in on time. She's getting great grades and everything. Like occasionally there'll be an episode where she like got a B in something and she'll be like panicking about it. I like when they start to underdo that a little bit in later seasons where, so I always think when Paris doesn't get into Harvard and Rory does, It's so crushingly unfair and you think oh my god poor Paris she actually works so much harder than Rory and
2: she has nothing else in her life when Rory has loads of things in her life. But there is a little bit of vindication of that I feel once they go to Yale and they're both doing the student paper and there's that Plot line for like just one episode where Rory keeps turning up and like handing pieces in and they keep not printing them because the editors like oh it's boring it was really boring
1: I know but then Paris sort of loses again
2: in yeah. the whole arc of that yeah. plot line because That's... she's like
1: too intense mm. quote marks well, which it's I hate too hard whereas Rory's like the fun one she's like perfect she just manages to do everything yeah. effortlessly so I really liked when. She didn't get the jobs she wanted in season seven. I know a lot of people have problems with season seven, but I did like that they were like, oh, guess what? You didn't get the like journalism, trainee, whatever it was, that big newspaper job. Obviously the job she ends up with is really cool. But I'm excited for the revival to like look at that. The idea that she's actually not found it completely easy to just be a full-time employed journalist all the time. And I think it's probably quite realistic as well. <laughs> yeah, and I
4: think well, also she's obviously, it's meant to be that she can't, she can't fail that's her problem that it's like she can't deal as soon as things aren't perfect which is probably quite a good plot line for the series as a whole because it's so contained and they're all in this town and then as soon as something disturbs the equilibrium nothing can cope and she's very much like that that she's only she she succeeds she's good at everything that's what she does and then everything goes hugely wrong whenever that starts like she like when she just steals a boat because she's messed up one thing Um, which is kind of a slightly overblown (laughs) presentation of that. Still
2: quite a stupid plot point. (laughs) Yeah, very bizarre. They're like,
4: what could she do? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she'll
1: steal a boat.
2: (laughs) But it has its genesis right at the very start, really, because I remember in, like, it's one of the first two or three episodes when she first goes to Chilton, and... You know, like she gets a C or something on her first bit of work. And the teacher's like, Yeah, this is good, but you know, you've been at a very different kind of school and you've got a lot of catching up to do. But Rory's like, No, this is unreasonable. This is awful. I've failed. And Lore- I remember Lorelei has to like talk her down and be like, It's fine. We'll just work harder.
1: Yeah. And it is relatable, that feeling. Mm, oh, and totally. I think, especially to like the people in this podcast room <laughs> who like presumably followed fairly similar like paths as Rory on the way to like trying to become a journalist.
2: I would say, I am generally like not massively pro-Dean, I don't think. But the way he behaves in early seasons where he just totally accepts that he is secondary <laughs> to both Rory's work and also like her relationship with her mum is really cute.
1: Yeah, he just sort of lets her carry on with yeah. whatever she's doing. But
4: there are a few episodes where he gets a bit like,
1: but you said you were studying tomorrow and we were yeah. going to hang out tonight, Rory. yeah that's true
4: even logan gets really up bothered when she's not at yale and he won't even bring it up because he's like this is your thing you'd be so like assuming she'd be upset even hearing about school so at least i mean at least they all slightly recognize that her priorities about her yeah definitely and i think that i love that episode where jess comes
1: back and it's like why are you hanging out with this guy and what's this you're not going to school like that is completely crazy that's not you at all And so they all have this association. Sometimes I think it can be a bit like weird and like good girl fetishy, but
2: they do have this association that work comes first. Speaking of career related stuff, what do you make of the plot lines involving Richard and his job?
1: I think the Emily stuff is interesting. Whenever he starts a new business, she's like trying to sort of support him in terms
4: of like organizing a function. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just not grateful. Yeah. there's that awful scene where he's, Getting very upset that Rory's not at Yale and he's like, what's her life going to be? Just like organising parties and he, she's just like, "Hello, I'm right here. <laughs> but I think that's a real shame that like, I, I suppose the show is acknowledging the different kinds of work mm-hmm. and sort of trying to undermine that dichotomy, which I guess is interesting in terms of Rory as well. Because if you think, oh, she can only be a success if she's a success in the working world, maybe that's something this revival is trying to slightly... Question, mm-hmm. because I think Emily is a really interesting figure in that sense, and even Lorelai, who kind of has only later in her life makes a kind of success of her career, but that's because she's like raising a child mm. <laughs> on her right. own and um, stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, is she still working in the inn in the revivals? Did they mention that in the trailer? I can't remember. I don't remember seeing either way. I feel like that she maybe maybe was walking in the inn in one shot, mm. but I can't can't fully remember. But I sort of, that's the expectation I have for Lorelei's career path. I don't know if you guys, because I feel like once she had basically decided to set up the Dragonfly with Suki, she had really reached the sort of peak of
4: of what she wanted to do. Yeah, well, that seems to be her narrative in this revival that she's almost in a rut or she's almost found her sort of happy ending at the end of the other series. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. Which I guess is quite an interesting way of taking it. I think Richard's quite interesting because Richard's sort of, just to return to that, sort of always seems a bit corrupt mm. or something and he obviously uses his kind of professional power in his personal life like when he ensures the in for Lorelai uh sort of to have some control almost it seems or, or mm. like trying to give her these contacts with other people that's obviously very much how he identifies his self-worth his definitely work. lies in work as well yeah, mm. which is interesting when you think about Rory that maybe that's where that comes from yeah rather than identifying because she obviously takes turns almost identifying with each of her grandparents at different times well
1: i was watching the one where they do harvard yale game party oh, thing yeah. and before the whole like peneline lot incident they're talking about how richard and and rory are quite similar because that there's uh, richard like getting like getting involved in everything but being quite stoic about anything that might have upset him and rory can be quite like that as well they can quite like throw themselves i think into their studies and their work and like forget about any sort of like personal problems going on at the same time
4: and Rory can get quite caught up in status as well. She's actually not kind of the working class hero you want mm, her to be. Yeah, she does identify with her grandparents. She kind of doesn't mind all the ceremony around them. And I mean, I think when she first goes to the Huntsburgers house and, she, and they kind of criticise her and say she's from a bad background, her reaction isn't that's an insane thing to care about. It's does she know who I am? Yeah. I came, <laughs> my ancestors came here on the Mayflower. And you're like, that's not the point. <laughs> but she obviously does quite like that this is her roots that there is status yeah. just, for someone so obsessed with rules and regulations and these kind of very fancy ivy league schools i guess in a way she does quite well, care she, about that she
2: volunteers to do all the daughters of the american revolution stuff that lorelei opted out of at her age and all that kind of thing and that's i and i think we're shown that that's partly because she wants to like spend time with her grandmother and build bridges and stuff but also partly i think she just likes it Mm.
4: yeah i suppose she is sort of quite stoic and i think obviously slightly genteel people she quite likes Mm. she kind of likes chit chat and kind of Mm. being quite well presented unlike laura well i think these are topics we're
1: going to talk more about with laura snapes in a later segment of the podcast So now we're joined by culture writer, Laura Snapes, who writes for The Guardian and Pitchfork and lots of places. Laura, you've been rewatching Gilmore Girls, as lots of people have been. What struck you on the rewatch?
5: I haven't been super diligent with it. I've only made it as far about halfway through season two. There's a lot of episodes. <laughs> yeah, and it's not so long since I rewatched it because I originally started watching it when it was on Nickelodeon in about 2000, and I think I got to about as far as season three, and then they stopped showing it. And you'd get like one on the Hallmark Channel, one on Channel Five, one on E4 once in a while. So it's not so long since they actually properly completed it. But the thing that really struck me about it, watching it as like a grown-up woman, not a 12-year-old was, you know, people talk about Gilmore Girls as this really cosy, utopian show, and it is, like, nothing particularly bad happens, but the kind of divisions of, like, money and class and how you feel that you belong to certain spaces, that really kind of leapt out at me. I don't think it's quite as, like, benign as everybody says it is.
1: Yeah, I think that's so true, and that's something that is sort of explored in Lorelei's plotlines a lot more, I think, probably than Rory's plotlines, especially with her decision to leave home at such a young age and sort of find a space for herself.
2: Yeah, definitely, and those episodes you see where she... You know, goes back for the Friday night dinners and she goes upstairs to her old bedroom and you see her kind of looking at the person who left the room you know, all the posters are still up there and it's like a sort of weird shrine to this truncated person.
1: Yeah, in the first episode I feel like they make that contrast quite strongly between Stars Hollow and the Gilmore household, like Emily and Richard's house where they play that song, That's Where the Colours Don't Go and she's like looking at this big sort of grey stone while that's playing and I think she just from a very young age and in adulthood feels really Out of step with these sort of quite grand spaces.
2: But then the whole time the show's kind of in dialogue with that, right? Like when Rory decides that she wants to do the coming out ball for the Daughters of the American Revolution, and her mother's like, Well, if that's what you want. And then she spends the whole episode like on the sidelines of this thing that she rejected, pretending to be supportive because her daughter wants to take part in it.
5: Yeah, it's really interesting watching Rory kind of shuttle between those two worlds because for Lorelei, she's going back in and she's finding it really jarring, like you were saying. But then for Rory it's a like whole new fertile territory and you see her going to Chilton for the first time and she looks really overwhelmed by how big it is and all that kind of architecture because she's never kind of grown up in it. But then you kind of see her acclimatised to it. Like the first time she and Lorelai have that really, really big argument she runs away to her grandparents' house and that's, it, it's just kind of unthinkable for, to Lorelai. It's, it's not just them falling out, it's kind of like a betrayal of her values that she'd rather be there than in Stars Hollow.
1: And then you get this really uncomfortable feeling from Emily where she feels both torn because she wants her daughter to feel at home in their house and you know she's always trying to wrangle her to come via you know the Friday night dinner agreement and other things but then also sort of resenting Live for almost encouraging Rory to not feel at home in that space at the same time so you've got this very weird triangle of like three women trying to encourage a sense of family and belonging over three very different ages and two very different spaces
2: and on top of all of that you have to put the money issue mm-hmm. because Emily and Richard have loads of money and at least Richard. Richard certainly wants to give it to his daughter and his granddaughter, but an awful lot of the time it comes with strings attached. And one of them is the dinners, but then also the loan agreement that Rory makes with them for her Yale tuition. And all of this ties up the money in the places, doesn't it? You know, you can have this money to have this fancy education, but you have to come to the big house and, you know, play the client every Friday.
5: Yeah, those those kind of financial relationships are so interesting. It's like it is, their relationship is fundamentally a contract. But then I think... You know, Emily especially likes having them kind of in debt to them in an emotional way, not just necessarily in a financial way. Mm, But then she can't understand that they don't aspire to that life. They only want the money for this tuition. It's not, you know, she goes to their house and she can't understand why they don't want nicer things and to live closer to school and things like that. That episode where they go to Stars Hollow for the first time for Rory's birthday, I found really Mm. affecting. Where you see Emily in particular kind of turn up in Stars Hollow and realise she's been absent for 16 years of her granddaughter's life that she's kind of been raised by this whole weird village of people who know her so much better than she does. I think that's that's one of the best scenes in the whole thing.
1: Yeah, it's so nuanced, I think, that whole discussion. And I find myself really feeling for Emily in these parts, because although I understand Lorelei's frustration with the idea that you could like buy someone's favour or buy a bond with somebody, I do see Emily struggling to have that kind of effortless, cool parenting that Lorelai has. You see this problem where she is trying as hard as she can to give everything to her children and her granddaughter and she, she can't do it and they're rejecting the money but they also don't want to just tell her about their lives she has to like really force them to give her information about themselves and I feel really like sad for her when she's in those moments of quandary
2: and just stuff like after Rory finishes high school and they've had got this long planned idea of going backpacking in Europe and Emily and to an extent Richard are like well you know we'll come you should look up our friends you can have an amazing odyssey around Europe and they're like no thanks we'd like to stay in hostels please it's what we've always planned it's what we've always
5: wanted And that's what we're going to do. I think it's in the first season again when Emily's trying to buy a birthday present for Rory. She's like, what about a purse? What about a scarf? And Lorelai's just like, just these karma beads will be fine because it's 2000 and she's 16 years old. I think that's one of the things that, you know, I was kind of quibbling with the idea that it's comforting. It obviously is comforting, but one of the things that I think makes it kind of comforting in a very real way is that nobody's the villain in it. You just like you were saying, like, you sympathise with Emily and you sympathise with Lorelei and you sympathise with Rory a little bit as well. Nobody's right and everybody's got legitimate frustrations with how they're all communicating with each other and their own inability to communicate better with each other.
1: Yeah. And I like that this show is never too on the nose when it comes to, like, class differences and things like that. But Until it- Logan's helicopter in season <laughs> seven. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, season seven, some of the nuance goes, I think, completely. We can all agree. Yeah, I really love the episode that I just completely forgot about until I was rewatching that. It's so weird that it's uh, That damned Donna Reed. Where they have Donna Reed night and they're trying to encourage Dean to watch Donna Reed and then he gets a bit upset with their like mocking of this very traditional 1950s housewife stereotype and he becomes really uncomfortable with it partly because his mum's a stay at home mum and she cooks and she only or she does, you know, low key part time work. And I think there's a real like subtle class thing going on there as well about how, you know, this sort of very liberal household that Rory and Lorelei have and their independence can sometimes clash with like Dean's much more like blue collar style of living. And it's so fun to see that introduced in an episode via this weird like pop culture reference. And I think that they can do that really well in this show. They can sort of like go on something that's a completely bizarre tangent and pull threads out about like class and opportunity and things like that without making it too like in your face. Like, hey, seems like there's
2: some class differences between Rory and her guy. Like, <laughs> That's really interesting, actually. I hadn't even thought of that before that even though Lorelai rejected the very like upper class New england lifestyle of her parents and she rejected all the trappings of it and she moved away to become a single parent and to manage for herself and stuff, she still carries some of... Of the expectations and values that go with it you know in the same way that i'm thinking like in the early 20th century when you got like the children of aristocrats like rejected their parents and became bohemians in bloomsbury and stuff it's like yeah but you still believe most of the things that your parents believe and you have the same expectations for ultimately what your life will be like you're not willing to completely rip up the fabric of who you are and hence you know Lorelai may have completely rejected her mother's way of life but like her mother she's never going to stay home and cook
5: and I think she's definitely inherited a lot of her father's beliefs as well about, you know, that very 80s thing, like hard work, bootstrap. She's an education from like the very first season. She's got these aspirations and she's kind of not willing to be shaken from them.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it feels as though Laura I might not be aware of things like, for example, the fact that Dean chooses to stay in, in Stars Hollow and get married at 18. Yeah, they're really very like, judgmental of that. They can't understand it. But Rory gets this Chiltern education and her Yale tuition paid for by her grandparents. And a lot of people wouldn't have grandparents to loan them the money for that. So they are still very much products of their class in that sense. Yeah,
2: I remember the little scene where I think it's Rory and Lorelai run into Dean and his sister, maybe it's like way after they've broken up and Rory's just got all her college offers. And Dean asks, Oh, like, so I heard you got into Harvard, well done. And, uh, And Rory's like, Oh, yeah, thank you. And then Dean says, you know, I got into South Connecticut state and he says it, obviously he's really happy, but he says it in a like, I know you're going to think it's embarrassed, but I'm really happy. So I'm telling you anyway, mm-hmm. Way, And that's presumably because, you know, that's what he wants to do, but also it's within the realms of what's possible for him to do. Yeah, and he can
1: stay at home and be married. Yeah, so I think it's not something that's ever discussed that up front, but it's still, like you say, it's not like it's all comfort and rosy all the time and these issues aren't explored. They're just done from a slightly sideways perspective which i quite
5: like one of my favorite things about gilmore girls is that it's ostensibly a show about teenagers it was originally uh, shown on the wb network but they just use them as a trojan horse to talk about old people one of my favorite things that's happened this year is i lent my nana the dvds to gilmore girls and she's been absolutely steaming through them i had to post her all the rest of them after giving her season one that's so cute do you like chat about it on the phone A little bit. Um, We've not talked about it in depth yet, but I'm really curious to see who she kind of sympathises with.
1: Yeah, I wonder who she's like following. Yeah, totally. I'd love to know who she's rooting for. Looking back, I noticed there are things that I remember so vividly. Like, for example, the scene where Rory and Jess go to, quote, get ice cream in the car. Like those were the things that obviously really caught my imagination when I was watching this at like 15, maybe. But now looking back, there are all these things with Emily and Lorelai that actually you realize that a lot of the driving plot elements of the show aren't really about like whether Rory's going to choose Jess or Dean. Mm -hmm. It's much more about like how their circumstances are changing
5: and things like that so
1: yeah I completely agree I didn't realize it was on the WB network
5: first. oh yeah I think it was like alongside One Tree Hill and stuff because that's I guess they lose Chad Michael Murray to that <laughs> yeah. pretty early on I love
1: that weird episode where they have to be like oh he's going to military school <laughs> 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 slash oh,
2: yes. One Tree Hill <laughs> oh yeah I remember that I, I hadn't put those two things together, but that is absolutely
5: true. That is an interesting thing about watching it, you know, when you're 12 and watching it when you're 27. is like, I think a lot of those kind of sh- big shows about teenagers, like Freaks and Geeks and With My So-Called Life, when I watch them as an adult versus watching them as a teenager, it makes me completely sympathise with different characters. Like, mm-hmm. in My So-Called Life, I look at Angela and whoever her friend's called, and I'm like, these guys are pains in the ass. I am so <laughs> on her parents' side. But with Gilmore Girls, I don't really have that switching allegiance. I kind of still feel the same about it. It's not trying to manipulate you if you're a teenager or an old person. I think it's got really quite a balanced kind of portrayal of all the different age groups.
1: Yeah, and I'm so surprised now when I watch it back and I'm like, really, I don't think I really sympathised with Emily much when I was growing up at all because it was just like, oh God, she's infringing on these young people's liberties. (laughs) But uh, now when you watch it back, you're like, God, this is so complicated for her. And even characters like Paris just seems so much more sympathetic watching it back
2: yeah it's been really interesting for us I think because I hadn't watched it when I was younger at all like this it isn't a rewatch for me this is my first watch in advance of the specials and like I love Paris I've loved her from the beginning even when she was being really horrible I also instinctively really hated Jess which did yeah. not chime at all with Anna's teenage experiences of the show yeah we'll have to discuss that in more detail So, Pinya, what are you most looking forward to in the revival episodes? Well, I'm not sure it's the most, but I would like to see a Hep Alien reunion. So, what do you want to see happen in the new episodes?
5: I've thought about what I really don't want to see happen. It seems like, from the trailers, that there's going to be some kind of, like... Luke, Lorelai, Minefield and their relationship. And I really hate it when a show comes back to break a couple up just to reunite them again because you know that's what's gonna happen at the end. They're not gonna do another like Christopher Baton switch. I really hope that we get like a good exploration of what's happened to Rory's career basically because we leave her on such a high note in 2007 going off to cover the Obama campaign but it seems like, from what I can infer, things haven't gone particularly well for her. And I think that would be a really, you know, she's, she entered the workplace just before the recession. And not that I hope it goes, like, too detailed into that, but I think that would be a really interesting thing for it to explore, kind of the crushed aspirations of a very talented young woman.
4: unemployed in this trailer. She's worried. The thing she cares about is her job. She's just not bothered about which of these losers she ends up with. Which I guess is quite an interesting way of taking it. <laughs>
2: So Anna, what do you most want to see happen in the revival episodes? I think one thing that's
1: really missing from Gilmore Girls is a gay plotline or yes. some more gay characters. So I would like to see at least one character have some sort of gay relationship. <laughs> Perhaps uh, we were saying that Mallory Ortberg suggested that Emily could have a late in life lesbian affair, which would be great. That would be excellent. But to be honest, I'd, I'd settle for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a
2: big hole in the show, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Definitely.
1: So, Caroline, what would you like to see in the revival?
2: It's really sappy, but I want everyone to live happily ever after. (laughs) I know that sounds lame, but it's true. I don't think I could handle, especially not right now, if they introduced melodrama and difficulty to Stars Hollow. Just happiness. Just happiness for everyone, including Kirk. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from The New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including in iTunes, where you could also leave us a rating and a review because it helps other people find the show.
1: Our first ever live event, the Seriously Gilmore Girls Quiz, is now sold out, but you can put your name on the waiting list by going to seriouslypod.com and clicking on events. Don't worry if you can't come though, there will be a special episode of the podcast devoted to all things Stars Hollow as well.
2: Also on the website, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're also
1: available many other places on the internet, including on
2: Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr, Pod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be
1: taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast.